0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Chainlink God podcast, where we break down the information asymmetry on all things blockchains, oracles, and smart contracts. Today, I thought it'd be kind of interesting if if we had a bit more of an informal type conversation, more of a meta discussion about the current state of the crypto and smart contract ecosystem, kind of a meta reflection, so to speak. So what we've achieved in terms of tech and adoption, what are the real goals that we're actually trying to achieve and have we actually achieved that and kind of what we're thinking things will look like going forward. So to kind of help discuss and kind of see what the major trends are, I have on the Crypto Oracle with me today. How are you doing?
1: Doing good. It's been a while. So nice to uh, discuss the space since a lot has happened.
0: Yeah, definitely. Crypto moves at... I mean, well, one year in crypto is pretty much a decade in every other industry. So just a few months is an insane amount of things that have happened. So I think just to, to kick things off, what's your primary take on the current state of the crypto and smart contract space?
1: So yeah, um, I wrote down, you know, we discussed some of the things beforehand. Um, and I wrote down some trends. So I had to just start with the first one. Um, you know, I think right now, I would say we're in a state of limited innovation. Um, and I'm going to be at these points, I'm going to be as honest as possible. And, you know, while some of them are, you know, might seem a little negative, ultimately, you know, it's you to reflect on the honest state of the market to then grow from there. And I think all markets go in innovation, where they have a lot of innovation, and then there's a lull for a little bit, I think with any tech trend, this happens. But I think right now, you know what we kind of see, and we've saw we've seen this in many cycles already. It's like we have one innovation, and then we basically have a bunch of forks or similar type projects that ha- that introduce like very minimal changes or potential. You could say upgrades, or they're just changes. Like for example, first you had like well, I think even before that you had just like a bunch of currencies. You know, you had like Bitcoin, then you had like a lot of like copies of Bitcoin, Litecoin, and PureCoin and uh, all these different coins. And then you kind of had like ICOs where everyone wanted to create some type of smart contract application or some type of smart contract protocol. And so you're just like, everyone was raising money just based on a white paper and the fact that you're doing ICO. And then, you know, you had kind of like, okay, blockchains, you know, we have a new blockchain and that was the kind of innovation. Oh, we we made it a little faster or we did this and that for it. And then you had kind of this DeFi wave you know, we're at all these different DeFi projects, and now you've kind of had NFTs, and I think NFTs are still kind of going. But you know, we're we're kind of like, okay, what's kind of next? And I think, like with DApps in particular, like you know, the innovations are like, hey, we launched a new chain. Well, it's not really an innovation. Let's just say we launched we launched lending on this new chain because it wasn't on this chain so far. You know, already. And, you know, or the innovation is, oh, we have a slightly different governance structure, or we have a slightly different reward structure. And then, like, sometimes the innovation is, hey, we got a new token, and we're giving away free money. I mean, that's like, I wouldn't say it's innovation, but that's the selling point. I think you actually, you know, I liked what you said the other day. You know, we had talked about it before, is like your economics model is not a product i think you said something you said a few other things about it what was it exactly it was like
0: yeah it was pretty much like subsidized yield is not a product tokenomics is not a product having a narrative is not a product like these are all things that kind of reinforce what your actual product is but when you say like we have this token it rebases and does these things it's like that's a nice property of a token but if there's no actual utility with the token it doesn't mean much Uh, I kind of see what you're saying in terms of like you an innovation comes out it gets forked it gets hammered into the ground until it's like the smallest resemblance of what was still the original concept being played out I kind of think of it as like metagames pretty much like every so often a new metagame comes out Um, I think DeFi summer in 2020 that was like that was kind of the first time I really stepped into a metagame and it was basically boiled down to you deposit some tokens, you get free tokens. People speculate on those tokens, yields go up, that attracts more people to deposit their tokens to earn more tokens. And like, in my mind, ever since then, in continuing continuously, crypto is it's like very inward facing. You know, the, the crypto economy is about what we could do with these token things. Like, I can lock a token to generate a new token which allows me to earn more tokens on the previous tokens that I locked up. Because it's it's very, how can I earn tokens and generate a system that generates me more tokens? Um, you know, Is new value necessarily being created? I mean, we're basically printing money at this point, printing these There's, tokens that people speculate on. It's it's just kind of very recursive.
1: Yeah, it's basically a re- rehypothecation of assets over and over again, which is basically the system that we were trying to, away from to some degree which is you know ironic in and of itself but i I was gonna say too like okay so i think a lot of the innovation low right now is actually in dApps um i think a lot of the actual real uh, like exciting innovation is actually happening more in the infrastructure layer and that's you know with l with blockchains with l2s with oracles um, so I think that's a, and then that will enable more applications in the end, which is good. Like you know, fast, you know L2s and faster blockchains will enable high-speed applications, and Oracle's will they can really enable all types of things. You know, if you think of something like Deco, that can attest to sensitive information, that can open up a lot of different uh, applications. So I, I do see the and cross chain as well as kind of the infrastructure layers you know, coming about. So I think that's where the innovation's happening, but the dApps is where the innovation is struggling a bit. And I think think the main reason
0: there really is like a lot of like at the app layer, we've kind of already built a lot of the primitives. Like we have lending, we have trading, we have derivatives. Like we have these kind of base layer things. And right now there isn't a lot of new like financial primitives. Like I think the latest one really was like flash loans. That was like a brand new thing. Uh, we're still kind of playing in the algorithmic stablecoin type game. I think the main thing is blockchains in their current state just cannot scale, at least not scale while retaining the same properties that we care about. And so a lot of the more innovative use cases aren't necessarily possible yet. So everyone's attention is kind of focused on the big issue right now, the elephant in the room of like, how do we scale these chains? And so that leads to kind of the speculation of the L1 rotation, hopping from chain to chain, say, who's, who's, who, who solved the problem? Where can we actually do these things? But every time a new chain pops up, it's generally the same primitives that come along. And so I agree, there's not so much innovation there. It's really focused on the infrastructure. And hopefully, as the infrastructure is refined, we can actually enable these new applications. But currently, infrastructure gets the premium because that's what everyone's focused on as of today.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, well, like you said, they do need to scale. But I I also think there is um, a challenge with how do we like, you know get these into users who actually want these services I think right now most of these products are in the hands of people who simply want to speculate on the service becoming valuable as opposed to people who actually use the service Uh, and that's kind of like the unfortunately like where we're at now and I have some ideas I'll talk about when we talk about kind of where this is heading Uh, but I, I think that's one of the main issues. But again, that's also coupled with the fact that some of that these things can't quite uh, hit scale yet, uh, which is just, you know, that will improve. And, and I wanted to say too that like, that it's not necessarily surprising that, you know, we're in innovation lull. I mean, this is just how tech cycles play out. Um, I think for one, I, I don't know if there's enough people who really know how to use the tech just yet, to be honest. Like they're like, I don't know how, if people really think like DApps especially know how to build business models off of, you know, this just yet. Um, you know, some part of that may be not enough users, but I think, especially like if we move outside of finance, like how do you build insurance applications? How do you build supply chain applications that make sense? So I I think, you know, that's one area, um, because I, I do think the economic model for DApps is a bit harder than infrastructure are, there are different challenges there. Um, second, I think, you know, I've talked about this on Twitter several times is the opportunity to make quick money is very attractive. So if you are a developer, like, you know, to build a long-term application, you know, versus to launch some new, you know, shiny thing with a little bit of a narrative, you know, and you can make a lot of money, like that it's very attractive and, and, and lucrative, um, and the barrier to entry for forks is just, like, very small. So, like, you don't have to be a very – you don't have to be a creator so much. You just have to be a, a savvy enough to copy and, and, and create a narrative. And also, most of the really good devs that actually could build innovative things, well, you know, in the smart contract land, they're already rich. <laughs> like, they already have a lot of money. And one of the problems is, you know, how to like, – this is changing, but like you need a basically an influx of new people that are very capable developers and maybe didn't get rich already to kind of come in and drive the next cycle because it's, or you need people who are, you know, they've already made so much money that they just want to actually change the world. And that's what drives them as, you know, so I think that's a little bit of a challenge there.
0: I think, yeah. I think the big thing is like the incentives for developers is a little bit broken right now. Like, If you want to build an application that's going to serve a a billion people and will take like 10 years to actually build out you know most of your user base existing today honestly just don't give a shit about that you know if you're not going to give them 20 percent yield on their on their algorithmic stablecoin they don't care (laughs) like they they want the yield now they want to get free tokens and they want to move on to the next thing that gives them the next shiny free yield and like if that's not your focus as a developer you're inherently at a disadvantage so it's like the selection model for what projects get, people, what gets people's attention, what succeeds, and in many people's eyes, unfortunately, success is just number goes up. If number goes up, you know, you kind of end up trading this. uh cult. We've kind of seen this kind of a broader point, but kind of like a cult of personality, where some developer will have an interesting new concept, they'll give you lots of yield, then people kind of rally behind him, then he makes some more questionable moves, and then everybody just ditches him, and then the since nobody's propping up the subsidized yield, then people just don't really care anymore, and it's like it's a very vicious cycle, but it comes down to like, just the incentives are broken. Like it's, it's very nice to give people free yield, but they'll turn your back on you when you don't give them that free yield anymore. And at the end, what product did you create? You know, it varies, but often it's just the yield was the product, which is not a real product.
1: And it's totally unsustainable. Um, it's tough. Like I said, this plays right into like, real projects have to compete in an unrealistic environment and they are in what's rewarded yeah is fast quick money no long-term vision give away all your money like it's really there's a couple of misaligned setups first the team gets all this money up front um, and they haven't actually achieved anything um now there are some some benefits to that and some not, you know, we've discussed the like token, this token model can be beneficial to some degree, but again, they, they get a lot of money up front. Uh, you know, also, yeah, like there's no like short-term investing and in, there's no loyalty in this game uh, at all. And I mean, should there be, should there not is, uh, you know, but it's like, if there's no loyalty, then everything's just gonna become basically like you know what can you do for me right now and there's no long-term vision it's like wall street kind of 2.0 it's all speculation as opposed to what it was you know at least what people built it up to be but i think this kind of goes into the the next point that i had had um was like crypto is still honestly a very niche market it's really just kind of in my opinion at least it's like f- i i don't know a number but you could say a few million enthusiasts or maybe it's a little bit higher than that and you have some funds, but we haven't really reached m- wide adoption at all. You could maybe say an NFTs have reached a new kind of realm of users, um, but it, they're still just like speculating on the same things, this, which I, I find the NFT market just insane to be honest. Like you have literally just JPEGs that are like stored in some centralized server, and somehow they're selling for like 20, 30, 50, you um, sell for like a million dollars. Like, like it's just like insane to really, then you really actually think about it. And it's just like that, that meta game is the most, is honestly the wildest one of all, like the ICO one at least makes a little bit more sense. Cause like, oh, well this smart contract protocol could maybe generate a valuable service and this, but the, the NFT market is just like really insane. And, and I think like you kind of hit
0: on a point like NFTs. I think that's like the prime example of the state of the market we're in, where these projects will pretend to have a utility, but most of the time don't. And it's just, it's in the state where there's kind of a facade of like, oh yeah, we care about the artists. We care about the art, but like 99% of people are in there because they want to buy an NFT and sell it at a higher price to another person. And that's, that's the NFT marketplace. And so it's like that predominance profit maximalism is something where it's like the utility that can be generated by nfts is just not being expressed in the current marketplace where it's everybody speculating on what other people are going to speculate on and people watch what the big speculators speculate on because they're you know it's kind of like a self-reinforcing positive feedback loop i mean it's it's i don't think a lot of people kind of ogs in the crypto ecosystem really saw nfts coming because they were actually focused on like financial freedom, censorship, resistance. And then like, here comes these JPEGs that, you know, people put as their profile picture and it's kind of came out of left field, but I think it's like the perfect example of like the metagame that the real world utility, ironically, that's what people see is kind of crypto these days is NFTs and not so positive light specifically with the ESG concerns. But I think it's like a prime example of the current state of the market we're in where people pretend like there's, you're speculating on utility, but you're just speculating on speculation really.
1: I don't know. Well, I will say that, you know, the NFT market, I mean, it's basically, well, it's making money, obviously, but like the other, the, the, I guess you could say the actual utility is social clouds, whether you, I don't really care about that, but you know, like, yeah, that's basically what a lot of people, I think it's like, Hey, I'm one of the few people who got a rock. I mean, that's basically the value proposition and that's fine. I mean, if that's, that's the value prop, like, that is at least a value prop. Uh, but again, like, it's just like insanely out of control. Like, no one actually thinks that like somebody's NFT should be selling for like $20,000 when it's like a picture of a fucking cat or I don't know, some. Like it's just like totally, <laughs> I just find it insane. But, you know, yeah, to each that's, their that's, own.
0: That's the primary thing. It's like the utility of NFTs isn't necessarily the question. It's just like the scale of the ecosystem, the speculation is just, it's so out of sync of reality at this point. Like, there's interesting NFTs and I have some but it's just it's just like the hype around it is just absolutely insane where it's like not necess- necessarily saying it's a bubble but it's just like it's
1: you look at the market and it's like what the fuck is happening at this stage i I also think i mean this is I, I'm not the typical nft uh person to like appeal to so like I'm gonna have i know I might not be always have the best take, but i I do think that with nft's because they rep- because they represent kind of social clout at the moment. Now, I think NFTs will evolve. But again, th- this market is not really for this other market. Like there might be two different types of markets. Like you have like NFTs for real world assets, but that's kind of besides uh, this. But, you know, since NFTs represent kind of social clout, like I, I think <laughs> that they won't really hold value. Like I, I think honestly, very. I-, I know some people think, well, they'll be like, you know, relics of the culture you know, like artifacts of the culture, you know, it would always, a punk will always be valuable. And that may be true, but I think that pool will be way, way more limited than you think. And I even question whether it will hold over the long, long term, because culture changes very fast and clout change, like, changes very, very fast. And will those actually hold value? So we'll just be a constant game of what's hot now. And, and if that is, and people catch on to that more and more, you will see less and less speculation over time because people will get out quicker and quicker and quicker and, and so I and then eventually that's how speculation bubbles kind of die until eventually like. People like speculate less and less, like they sell earlier earlier and, earlier and earlier and earlier, and then there's just like nothing left, and so I do think that that uh, will play out but. Furthering kind of on the you know the the niche market, I mean I think you you, you do see some enterprises but i think mostly they just have very small allocations to so like bitcoin ethereum or they're like uh, provide a service to the market like a, a basic service right now like maybe they run a node maybe they like they google like they they show a bunch of blockchain data that you you know different metrics on blockchain data so right now they kind of i think mostly they're i do think they are coming but i think this kind of like in between the proof of concept phase and okay what are we going to do now how are we gonna attack this market, um, and I think you know within this market right now that I, I've said this before. There's there's two markets. <laughs> there's the fundamental market, which I would say like you know your blue chips, and then you have the casino, <laughs> and 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 most people, I, I would say the casino dominates the market right now, and and really the casino is a game is a meta game as you said of rotation. <laughs> It's, what is it's and, and add five o's on i'm, I'm rotating <laughs> like it's it's what is hype right now and how to and then just rotating money so I don't, I don't think you're actually getting a lot of new money into the space just yet i think you will but i think it's mostly a lot of the same money a little bit more comes here and there slowly but it's mostly a game of uh of rotating and i i think the reason behind that is that most people view crypto as a lottery ticket. Like they they heard from their friend got rich or they read on, a, on an article that some person got rich. And there are not a lot of ways to get rich fast in the world. Like crypto is like almost singularly unique and like you can make a lot of money really fast and people just, that's so lucrative. But like the only thing they think about with crypto right now is like, how can I hit the jackpot and I'm willing to lose money, but I want a chance to maybe hit it big. And then like, that's what it fuels like the dog coin memes. That's what fuels the NFT memes. is like, how can I try to like hit a lottery ticket? Um, and so that's why you get Ponziomics that are rewarded. And that's what makes the space kind of look <laughs> like a joke to some is that, yeah, it's based much more on lottery hype as opposed to like actual services. Um, and I so
0: I think that kind of gets into like a broader point of like there's crypto currently has a bit of a perception problem in terms of whether that's going to be people complaining about ESG and the energy consumption, whether that is or isn't an issue doesn't really matter. It's the perception that this is an issue that prevents a lot of people from touching it. I mean, even at all scales, whether it's just like somebody on Twitter or it's Tesla stopping Bitcoin payments because the ESG concern raised by the crowd. I, I do agree. I think a lot of the perception is like, oh, crypto. know it's just a big ponzi system and it's because a lot of people do see it that way they see it as their personal money printer if they can jump in and they could just hit that next 10x then you know they don't care where crypto actually goes they just want to go in uh, capture value and the people within the crypto ecosystem i think a lot of people understand that dynamic and so when there is money flowing in it's i've kind of seen this analogy where it's like pve or player versus everyone where the existing players are basically just fighting to get the money from the new entrance when we're in the stagnation period and there's less money coming in and it basically ends up shifting to PVP or player versus player where everybody's kind of fighting over the same money. And so like there isn't necessarily value creation. It's just the pool of money inevitably is shifting and concentrating to the few winners. And then a lot of people get wrecked. And then that perpetuates the negative perception again of like people thought crypto was this money making thing. Here's all these people who just got wrecked, you know, and when people's perception of crypto is just it's a way to make money. That's not sustainable. And that's, I think, one of the perceptions we have to kind of break away from, where it's not just a system, it's not just a casino for profit maximalists to kind of hype up and dump their bags on people. You know, it's it's actually a useful system that has economics attached to it. But I don't think the po- tokenomics and the ponzonomics should be the current focus of the ecosystem like it is right now. You know, just ways to generate new tokens and make new tokens. That should be, you know, oh, by the way, here's this tokenomics system we have, but our real product. You know, is you know stability or something, but it's completely backwards. It's here's how you can make some well, money. By the way, we have stability, stablecoin too. Like it's it's just it's just backwards.
1: It's it's tough too because you know if you like if you want to see like the kind of the tech play out, you you're, it's like oh well you're against making money, and it's like you know like. Also, you might have to give some. You might have to. You're sacrificing, I guess, a little. If you don't play the game, well, then are you Are you? What is the opportunity cost for you? Then are you actually losing money? But then, if everyone thinks like that, then like the space basically has no real purpose, has no real ethic, has no real like, like everything that you would want to, you know, you could achieve with blockchain. You know, you know, you you're not going to because everyone's just concerned with making a quick buck. And it's like, well, but if that's just the way the space is, well, then why should I miss out? It's like, it's a very tough, you almost need like a lot of people just to lose, honestly, uh, to the point where they're like scared to like invest in stupid shit. Um, You know, that's like, I don't know, some of the only ways, you know, I see it. Or, Or it's just like, yeah, over time, more and more people just sell quicker and quicker. And yeah, you just can make less and less money and then fundamentals take over. I mean, you might have that just in cycles where fundamentals take over for a little bit and then pons and then ponzi's come and then they go away then you go into a lull for a little bit i mean that's sometimes how market cycles just naturally play out
0: i will say that like the speculation aspect is not it's not 100 bad the the money that comes from speculation can provide a lot of funding for real actual development If if there was zero speculation it would be really hard to build anything useful it's just kind of the allocation of where that speculation goes can be a little uh disconnect from where the real value is actually being created so i, I do agree that like if you're not like a 100 profit maximalist and it's like you know quote unquote you're in it for the tech you know that's like a code word for just being a bag holder and you lost a lot of money but i think that realistically we should be focusing on creating useful tech and then profiting from that not the goal of creating profit and then also maybe we create some useful tech but that doesn't really matter so i, I think it's kind of a framing thing but i do agree that's like it's kind of a dichotomy of like, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? And that's kind of the choice you have to make currently.
1: Bro, are you just like coping, man? Like, sounds like you're just like coping. <laughs> yeah, have fun or stay poor, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's a very, uh it's kind of frustrating, uh, but it, it's a hard, do- it's not an easy dynamic to get away from. But I, I mean, like the, at the end of the day, like, what are we, I mean, depends on what you care about i guess if if you want to see the world burn and all you want to do is make if you think the world's going to burn already and you just want to make money i mean i guess that's one mindset but you know there is i mean we're all excited for blockchain tech for a reason i mean it does have a lot of potential both you know could have it could be used in a lot of good ways could be used in a lot of bad ways but you know so like it, you know why not try to why not try to make some money but also see it actually do some good things in the world um you know it's kind of my mindset but i guess you know i had a few more trends these are you know those were kind of the main two but like you know i do think i'm gonna i want to touch on this a little bit more in the future aspect but i do think we're in the very early stages of political jockeying uh between the current system and the crypto system and and this is basically a negotiation (laughs) uh that's happening of how you know, how are those two worlds going to merge? You know, what is crypto going to become? Like how this will answer questions like how important is decentralization to the adoption of these applications? You know, what is, what is KYC and what's not KYC? And what happens to non-KYC type products? Um, you know, what about self-hosted wallets and privacy? You know, uh, what about taxes? You know, I think all of these are all what are being jockeyed over uh, at the moment um and we can go more than that it's kind of the future uh thinking of crypto but you know i don't know if you have any thoughts there but uh, i definitely see that playing out more and more right now
0: yeah i think crypto at this stage it's kind of become a system where it can't be ignored it seems like a lot of the focus is on stable coins you know the fact that there's hundreds of billions of stable coins out there and the quality of them vary by a lot and so i think there's it seems like it's a little bit favorable, but at the same time it's kind of questioning the legitimacy and the backing. So I think that there are some legitimate concerns of like systemic issues, but I think at this stage it's kind of debating of like how much control should the existing status quo governmental have and how much should the control be kind of given back to the user and completely self-hosted. And I think there's, uh, we can kind of step on this in the future facing section, but I I think there is a kind of a, uh, a solution to
1: be made. So the the other thing, so two quick points. The other one, if you look at the tech, you know, I really think, I mean, obviously, there's a few things you could mention, but I think that the main thing that's happening right now is scalability, and who is going to be that first solution that has real services in a very scalable manner? So you can see this with the L2s, you can see this with these, you know, high speed, these high speed blockchains that are, you know, coming in. And so I think this is really the battleground right now uh, for, you know, and, and, and I don't know if this will come down directly to just like who has the best tech. It's like who I think a lot of it's to be business development uh, is who's going to get the most real uh, who's going to get the most applications, the most users on these and who's going to hit like who might hit like a really mainstream adoption app or something on their chain like i think it's going to come down more to that because you could probably build all these on all these different chains and honestly a lot of retail users i don't know how much they care about decentralization i mean they should eventually they'll have to i think at some degree and you you would hope that the most essential the the most secure one wins but you know it's really going to come down to who's going to hit those killer apps and, and get the most users on their particular chain
0: the the larger like we're definitely seeing you know, the, the thesis of the multi-chain ecosystem was just a thesis, but now it's like, it, it's, it was played out over 2021. We could see it's clear now. I think the primary reason is like you said, it's Ethereum mainnet itself just got bottlenecked and congested and kind of priced out users. So naturally they had to go somewhere else. And so that's kind of why we saw so many of these other chains pop up. I think that <laughs> a playbook ended up being created and now is just came, being repeated at Finium in terms of you, you kind of fork Ethereum you tweak some parameters, add a couple new things, you deploy a token subsidy on top of it, you fork some Ethereum dApps, you get some users over, they speculate on the tokens to increase yield and attract more users. Uh, And then eventually the chain either just becomes more centralized or becomes congested and expensive, runs into the same problem as Ethereum, and then people move on to the next chain that doesn't have that issue or has a, a new shiny, different thing that the previous chain didn't have. But I think that's just kind of, that's just kind of the state that we're living in in terms of there's all these chains they have some differences are they huge differences maybe but i think you know there is user demand for cross chain uh, and so i think what we've kind of seen is these cross-chain bridges a lot of them have popped up but i think the existing infrastructure simply cannot provide the level of security that users need at this point i think like these cross-chain bridges started out with like a million dollars in TVL, and it was fine it worked between you know one and two changes chains but now they're connecting like 10 different change, uh, chains they're securing billions of dollars and going to be cons- securing more and more and we've already seen billions of dollars lost in bridge hacks um you know there's kind of speculation like oh things are going to be more isolated things will become more, more more multi-chain less cross-chain i think the demand for cross-chain isn't going away i just think that the existing bridge infrastructure just has not been there yet so this is kind of like a future facing one but you know bridges getting hacked has been kind of a theme for the past couple months of uh unfortunate reality but i don't think that's going to kill the multi-chain cross-chain narrative i think that's just the kind of current state of bridge technology is just not adequate yet
1: yeah i would agree obviously i think the security of bridges is like so important and i think a lot of teams that just want to get quick to markets and you know they want to solve an immediate problem and so which you know, that that's just happens in the market. But again, you could be, you know, especially as you see cross chain being like a gateway for funds or institutions to like interact with all these chains, like, we got all this money, we want to interact with these chains, we we want to give our users access to these chains through us. Um, You know, that's, you're talking about securing trillions and trillions of dollars. And you can't just like being first to market is is not going to be why you win you know, it's going to be like how secure you are. And so I think when you look at something like CCIP and you see the the, the amount of, you know, you got guys like Dan Bona and stuff working on it, and this guy's well, arguably one of the top cryptographers in the whole world, you know, and so you know, that's the kind of security you're going to need. Um, but the last point I had on the current one is I do think that Bitcoin has kind of really established its first real kind of, uh, real world use case with the Ukraine Russia situation. And that it, it for the first time, it was like really seen as an alternative that you can turn to when the existing, you know, financial system take, you know, basically relegates you from it. And it, it, and it really became a political web like tool, I guess you could say, to use if that happens. And, and that has a lot of ramifications about how, you know, the current world order i think arthur hayes wrote a pretty good article in my opinion on it um, but I, I think it's really like okay bitcoin is actually now a serious reserve asset um that that's actually very important to the geopolitical game that goes on in the world and so i think this is this is really one of those defining moments that really like catapulted that narrative
0: yeah i, th- I think so i think a lot of people kind of historically just kind of saw bitcoin as like oh it's that pet rock thing But I think particularly with the financial censorship and in multiple different domains, whether like uh, canceling a central bank's fiat reserves entirely or just individuals uh, who lean a specific way. I think that people will begin to or are beginning to kind of recognize the censorship resistant properties of Bitcoin as a, a real alternative to fiat assets cannot be understated. I think before people go like, oh, yeah, Bitcoin was digital gold, but they didn't really know what that knew what that meant. And I think at this stage, they'll begin to realize, oh, you know, it's unconfiscatable censorship-resistant asset. Like, I think that's only going to become more and more clear uh, going forward into the future. So, I mean, I think that's kind of Bitcoin's domain. I don't think any other crypto is kind of necessarily going to capture that market than Bitcoin, but that's not to say that's the only market to be captured. I think that's just kind of Bitcoin's main foray here.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think, I, think, you know, I, I know the whole... Argument of you know well, ETH has more utility and and, and honestly probably has better economics, um, and and I, I believe that to be true. Um, but I think Bitcoin, particularly well, for two reasons. One, I think it's just momentum, and self and, and kind of just people believing in this narrative that it's like a reserve asset is you know it's it's it has a lot of momentum in that regard. And it's gonna be very hard to unseat that. And second, that they are so trust minimized in governance. Like they they like it just doesn't change. It's so ossified. And and that is really if you wanna be a reserve asset, that's probably the most important property, actually. Yeah, you might not get the tech stuff, and then yeah, you're gonna have, you know, they're gonna to have to think about the security budget. That's gonna be a very big thing. I don't think that's gonna be a concern you know might not be a concern for 8 16 you know, maybe, maybe a while out but it is going to be something they're going to have to consider if they don't like make substantial changes to the protocol like maybe like zero knowledge like being able to compute zero knowledge proofs that would actually probably be a big thing and then they can build layer twos on that but um yeah i, I think uh it's gonna be very hard for ethereum to unseat that but like you said like they don't have they don't have to be like they can be both just as valuable or maybe even Ethereum could be more valuable but it's not like the world reserve asset like they don't it doesn't mean like one's better than the other or that they have to directly compete in that regard they can actually both be reserve assets at the end of the day yeah I think you pretty much hit the nail on the
0: head I think Bitcoin's very much optimizing for predictability you know you know what Bitcoin's going to be like in 10 years and that's really why you hold Bitcoin Ethereum may objectively be evolving to have better economics but it's also a little less predictable and malleable. And that's, that's a strength, but it's also, you know, a different value proposition than Bitcoin altogether. So I think that this is kind of an analogy by Arthur Hayes as well, but I think that like Bitcoin is much more of like a fixed commodity like gold, while Ethereum is going to be seen more, much more from the perspective of being a bond or the revenue it generates and the utility in the Ethereum ecosystem. You know, Bitcoin is just going to be kind of the value proposition is Bitcoin itself, its supply, and that you can't change it no matter what. Ethereum is just going to be more valuable and flexible by design which has many advantages in terms of its utility uh but the ossification is something that's just not guaranteed or really seen at this point so i, I do think that like they're both gonna they're <laughs> either one they're gonna have a role to play if they actually achieve their goals um so i, I think we've kind of we've discussed a lot about like the current crypto ecosystem and the smart contract ecosystem in its current state a little bit about the future but i think I think now we can really shift towards what is the ecosystem going to look like going forward? How is the space going to play out adoption-wise? What are your kind of main thoughts there?
1: So, yeah, um, again, I wrote down some points. But the the first one, I think, is that crypto is just going to get increasingly political. Um, I think, again, there's a lot of... Because the property that you know blockchains and cryptocurrency provide is kind of this... Trust minimization at the end of the day, um, whether that's trust minimize money, whether that's trust minimize applications, and this is going to be seeing like, wh- you know, if the system is going in the wrong direction, and you have the alternative, well, the people in power are not like gonna necessarily like that if they don't control that, if that makes their system look you know bad, even though, like when you're, especially when you're trying to cover up how bad it is, you know, and so it is it, gonna be a lot of like i said before a lot of political jockeying over it um and so like this jockeying is going to be like well how much regulation is there going to be you know how legal are certain things going to be and so i what i worry about is you know you know obviously i have more of a like i would love if people would take personal responsibility for their you know their assets and and personal responsibility over things and so you would have it's more of like a I don't know, libertarian type of view, I guess, not, not that I'm a libertarian or whatever, just like it's, it would be nice if people could take personal responsibility. But I don't think people, I don't think, I don't think most people want that or, or they don't care enough about that. And so that kind of introduces a, you know, a lot of intermediaries into that system. And then that also introduces a lot of the, it creates less trust minimization uh, as a whole and so i i worry that we will not have the political will to get this kind of larger vision fully how we want so it might be a watered down version unfortunately um, and i really worried about like kyc stuff you know if, if everything becomes kyc you know i there's you know is did the, did we really re- realize the vision of crypto you know and then not will non-kyc stuff just be like relegated to underground you know I, I could see that happening um so i i don't know i mean you already saw south korea they want to ban unhosted wallets like i don't know i worry about whether we actually have the political will to change things but again that could change as like things break down you know <laughs> like if financial system breaks down these next people might want a more demand for these kind of things but I think what we'll
0: probably end up seeing is that the existing ecosystem is going to be basically split. And I think there will be an ecosystem that's a little bit more on the wild side where the KYC AML and the kind of existing assumption that there's always going to be an intermediary to click click the pause button. I think that system will kind of exist in parallel. It will be in a state where you can't necessarily control it. But I think what regulators and what enterprises are going to shift towards and really focus on is kind of this parallel system of like, The same infrastructure, but it's going to be a little bit more permissioned, and it's going to have. Maybe it'll have kyc but it'll be in a way that's more privacy preserving to try and pull people. uh, back into that ecosystems, and so I think it'll be end up kind of just split there'll be two systems, I think there'll be bridges between the two. If you're in the kyc kingdom, then you can use the non kyc, but maybe not vice versa, and so maybe that's you know it's it's almost like a chain split basically a chain split that may or may not resolve itself, so I think. Unfortunately, that's probably what's gonna end up happening. Um, I think there's still a level of compatibility interoperability between those two, but I think that's probably the most realistic route where people kind of opt into the system they wanna use.
1: Yeah, I think there'll be a, a campaign against non-KYC stuff eventually, uh, unfortunately. But uh, this kind of goes into my second point though, is I think that access to smart contract applications, access to cryptocurrency, Will evolve into instead of users interacting directly with the blockchain or directly with the applications, you know, which right now is honestly it's just complicated and not very secure for most people. Like you know, to go to MetaMask and to use your hardware wallet, and you know, if you fuck up, you know, there's not really anything, you know, you could lose all your money. You know, you have to worry about your systems being hacked or whatever. Like. For most people, in all honesty, like they can't handle <laughs> this amount of responsibility. And the UI is just not just the UI, but the security. Like, what if you lose your keys? And it's just not there. And so maybe this ha- is just the way it goes forever, or maybe this is the intermediary step. But I think that existing institutions will act as the intermediary to these applications to cryptocurrency. Um, that's just, You know, they're just going to be basically gateways uh, there. So, you know, they have customer service. They can abstract away a lot of these details. They can maybe provide you insurance. They can make make sure you don't mess up and lose all your money. Maybe they provide insurance in case they're hacked. You know, they, they provide all this kind of for you. And also, back to the point I said before about users, like they are the ones that have all the relationships with users now. And so they can actually provide all these they can actually be the re how we get all these you know produce applications into the hands of actual users that actually want those services um and so i think what will probably happen too is kind of like what you said is that they will offer services that are like have you know like similar to how they have messaging apps where you say like you know secure to cure encryption so like you have on the back end it uses this kind of encryption protocol where it, A bank or something, say a bank is offering a lending service, and it could be like secured by DeFi or whatever something secured by blockchain, and so like you you get like, certain guarantees behind it, uh, because they're they're offering you a product that has a back end built on blockchain. Um, Whether you get all the full guarantees, I you know, I don't know, but uh, you you probably will at least maybe you will get some determinism and maybe some transparency that you didn't have before. Now, is that the full vision? Maybe not, but I do think you'll get a little bit more um, insight. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, whether that's, you know, whether you like that or you don't, I think that's probably what will happen.
0: Yeah, I had had the same point down. I think it's, that's the most likely situation where we can actually scale crypto to like billions of people. I think expecting everyone to kind of manage their own private key and to interact with these websites. I mean, like if if you've used DeFi, then you know that the, you may be used to the user experience, uh, but it's just, it's very, very complicated. And so I think the vast majority of people just honestly don't really care about finance that much. They just want the benefits, you know, they want to earn yield. They want to be able to invest their savings. They want to be able to pay for things. And I think that this is kind of like a predominantly DeFi type thing, but I do think it's going to be back back end infrastructure. The UIs aren't going to change. The user relationships won't change but now businesses can provide greater transparency. They could be more competitive. They could provide greater yield and the switching costs between these businesses become lower because of the shared infrastructure and the kind of the shared, uh, r- rather than just a huge fractionalized um, uh, economic system where every, system, every business has their own system and there isn't that much interoperability. I think this will unlock a lot of fluidity between businesses. And so like maybe a lot of the benefits will be realized by businesses first, and then some of the benefits trickle down to the users but i think you know at the end of the day the users still have a better experience than they did before and if they want to use crypto manually and get all the benefits directly i think they'll always have that option option as well it's just that most users they just don't necessarily care and so i think most people that's how they'll use crypto they won't even realize it because it'll be a backend thing you know people people don't think about when they connect to a website you know oh is this hosted on google cloud or is this like i mean i i only want to use a server that, that's hosted by microsoft like people people don't care <laughs> they just want to use something that works and so at the end of the day i think that's really what's going to be the driving force is a uh, business uh integrations but that kind of comes down to the point of regulatory clarity where most businesses today can't even touch crypto because they don't know what's okay and what's not it's a huge landmine field, but we're not being told where the landmines actually are so just They don't even step into it. Only the riskiest and like the most uh, adventurous do at this stage. But I think that'll become more clear and maybe it'll be a little more watered down, but that's how most businesses are going to step into crypto. So it's kind of like a back end revolution, really.
1: Yeah. And I would hope, I mean, the hope is that, you know, while that's probably what's going to be happening for most people, hopefully this alternative though still exists is not like completely demonized to the point where it's like some underground market so you actually have the alternative of interact of holding your own assets and and hopefully then that slowly it will take a long it will take time lots of time but hopefully that that market can slowly grow where more people want to do that you know that's like kind of outside of it's like a it's almost like an educational cultural uh revolution that would have to take place for more people to 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 want to take self-ownership and things like that but hopefully because it's a viable alternative and it can grow over time um that 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 a lot of like a lot of
0: protocols are taking is basically scale up and become so adopted that you become too big to fail where at that point there's so many users in the network effect is so large that you can't just press the red button and kind of shut people out of the system if their lives already depend upon the system so i think that's that's what a lot of i feel like protocol founders are betting on is that you just can't. You can't block people from accessing this, or there's kind of like a mini revolution that ends up happening because of that. Will that happen? You know, it's hard to say, but I think that's what a lot of people are betting on. Is just it just becomes too unrealistic to shut everything down.
1: Yeah, I, and I guess a few more of the points that I had was, you know, this kind of furthers on the point I already talked about how there being two markets, and I think this will further go in that direction. And I think what will happen for better, or I mean. Whether you like this or you don't, again, these are just what I think will happen. Is that big player, big institutions, big whales? They will buy up these fundamental projects because I think these will be like the digital infrastructure of the future. Like they will be like the cash cows of the future um, when blockchain is basically a backend for a lot of things that we do. and, and then you will have this casino game that still goes on. And as you play this out over more and more time, you know, a lot of the existing players then come to own a lot of the real estate that becomes the future of the, you know, of the economy of social systems. And then people are like, oh, how did this happen? Well, this is how it happened. And so I think, unfortunately, I think that will happen. And I do think also speculation will, over time, more and more calm down. Like I said, I think, you know, it's just a matter of like people selling earlier and earlier and earlier, you know, so they can get ahead. You know, I get that advantage by selling a little just before, just before, just before, and just slowly littles down more and more. But I do think you also probably see some new, new things that will come out that are, you know, we don't know what they are, and it'll just create new kind of metagames. But um yeah, that's kind of how I see the market unfolding more and more.
0: Yeah, I think that. You know, we talked a lot about like how the, the existing crypto ecosystem is a little bit inward facing profit maximist type oriented, but I think it's almost like a necessary step of where we're we built infrastructure and the current crypto natives are the first target dem- demographic. And so all of these initial use cases are very much crypto focused, it's kind of the initial product market fit. But I think that's kind of just we're testing the infrastructure with these crypto token speculation games, but the infrastructure is infrastructure. And I think you could basically hot swap in the uh, organic real-world use cases, real-world assets kind of being plugged into existing infrastructure. So these existing lending markets can plug into existing stocks and securities. DEXs can be be plugged into basically tokenized real-world assets. Like it's the same infrastructure, it's just what it's being used for kind of expands uh, in volume. So I don't think the speculation mania or the token focused, we have a new token system, is going to go away hundred uh, percent, but I think just kind of proportionality, we're going to see more actual real world use cases in the speculation casino game will be kind of like that weird corner. <laughs> like
1: it's not necessarily the prime main
0: focus of crypto at that point. And I think there's it's a lot like, to get to that point, but hopefully that is the goal here.
1: It's like penny stocks or like kind of wall street bets type, you know, stock market betting. I mean, look, the reality of the day, like there's lots of Ponzi's and a lot of things, uh, and not just crypto. I mean, crypto is like the easiest to like, you know, create new money and create these metagames, but it's not like they don't exist all over the world. And not like the the US dollar is not kind of one big almost Ponzi in a way. Um, and, and like you said before, I didn't have this point down, but I do think the next avenue for DeFi is really two. It's real real world assets coming on chain. I mean, that's like that'll bring a whole bunch of new money into the space. And then also, I think that um, we will you'll see enterprise offerings of DeFi as well. So beyond kind of the real world asset thing, I think, you know, one of the other things we'll, we'll see is we, we're going to see a consolidation. I don't know how fast that's going to happen, but I think, you know, as the kind of, once you start to remove away free money, you know, like, you know, you're going to get like, okay, who actually has the best product? And then as you consolidate around that project you actually get you know network effects and economies of scale i think you really get that in crypto and so i think you know you will see a consolidation both in blockchains now i do think there'll be i don't think there's just going to be one blockchain i do think there'll be multiple but i don't think there's going to be like I, I, you know some people you know there was this notion like maybe there'll be like all these individual dapp chains and it'll just be like thousands of blockchains you know that's kind of like what Cosmos kind of was in a way. Um, I don't think that's quite gonna happen because of composability. And I think it's just hard to bootstrap security for all these individual chains. And I don't think that economically, I don't think you could actually do it. I think it's just like, there's not enough money to be made for validating these things that you could keep the security up and then do that. So I think you'll see consolidation, but where you kind of have like blockchains that have these shards or subnets or whatever, and so i think you will i don't know three to five systems maybe and maybe you have some specific chains that are like are very good at like one thing and usually you have this kind of modular blockchain like like if you take say for example you have like celestia which is like you know like this data availability chain like like this is i'm not saying that's going to win or not or that's going to happen but i'm just saying that that could be like a specific use case that's very supportive of the blockchain ecosystem so you could have potentially um thing and then i think besides blockchains you'll see a consolidation in dApps so like lending will consult i mean you might even see like uh DeFi like like that are like liquidity lending decks like all in one like you might even see a consolidation to like a lot of a couple services in one like you might not be like just one or the other so i, I because especially with liquid, like liquidity like there's a huge network effect if you have the most liquidity and you can earn the most yield and you can get the best rates so once you once we get past this kind of like all these competitors launching free money you know and that dries up you i think you will definitely see uh network effects on, um, you know and consolidation in these dApps
0: yeah I, I agree i think at like the infrastructure blockchain layer i do think there'll be consolidation but i think it'll be in the sense of basically like a power law distribution where a lot of that's going to be concentrated to just a small handful I think there will be plenty of dApp chains, significantly less secure, but for their use case for a gaming application, I don't think that that really matters. They just want the same kind of user experience. I think realistically, and this may be my own bias, but just kind of from a technical perspective, I think that a lot of what will be the multi-chain ecosystem will be basically a multi-roll-up ecosystem where you'll have this Ethereum settlement layer, you'll have these different ways to store data, whether it's Celestia storing it on the Ethereum or just storing it somewhere off-chain, but I think the vast majority of these chains will just be different execution layers, different rollups. Some rollups will be layered on top of each other recursively to even lower cost further. But I think the vast majority of the ecosystem will be these different kind of modular execution environments that can compete with one another. But I think that this will be effectively, this will kind of lower some of the bridge risk. And I think that's, it'll kind of reinforce Ethereum. I think people will begin to see Ethereum less of like, oh, it's this really congested chain where like the whales kind of transact. And so it's basically the settlement layer where the multi chain ecosystem basically settles upon. And I think that one, a kind of a greater, broader point, I think more people begin to kind of recognize just the, the economic system backing Ethereum, where if you launch your own blockchain, you have to pay for that security. You have to find some validators. You have to basically bootstrap it yourself. If you launch a roll up, you're basically just outsourcing a lot of the infrastructure concerns. And you just need to have a handful of small, uh, just a handful of validators in order to run your rollup environment. And then basically you're just going to be uh, borrowing Ethereum security, paying a little bit of rent for that security, but you don't have to uh, bootstrap everything yourself. So I think a lot of enterprises who normally kind of gravitated towards like, we will fork Ethereum and create a permission chain. I think realistically, if they want to tap into the ecosystem, they'll launch their own rollup, tap into the security of Ethereum, and then set their own permissions and whatever they need on top of that. So it's kind of, the infrastructure of uh, blockchains themselves, I think, will also consolidate in terms of what blockchains look like, where you don't need to do everything yourself, you outsource consensus, you outsource data storage, and you even you can even outsource execution as well to a reliable set of nodes, which can take the form of Chainlink nodes. So realistically, you're just defining the parameters. You don't actually run the infrastructure, you just kind of say, this is the blockchain I need, I need these use cases, I need privacy, I need this level of scalability, I'm okay with this number of nodes. You just kind of do a one-click deployment. You have your environment. You can plug into every other chain through Ethereum or through bridges, and I think it'll be significantly simpler to launch a blockchain, but in a secure way. So, I think that that's realistically where most of the ecosystem will go. And I think that kind of plays into a, a different narrative in terms of like we touched the, touched on this before, but just like Ethereum's tokenomics. I think in terms of just the tokenomics, where you have EIP 5059, where every transaction is burning ETH, plus you have the move to proof of stake, which will significantly lower issuance that's associated with proof of work, where the system itself will become net deflationary, which the value of Ether is the security of the Ethereum blockchain. So it's kind of a self-reinforcing loop, and you could tap into the system to secure your network. So as more systems tap into Ethereum, that's more Ether being burned, that's a more valuable ether, that's a more secure network for your chain. So I think people begin to r- recognize this virtuous feedback loop. It's it's not here yet, but I think once people kind of recognize the impact of this, I think uh, I think it'll be substantial in the way people act just architecture blockchain. I think it'll look very different than just we forked Ethereum, we made the blocks bigger and now the blocks come faster. <laughs> we, we beat Ethereum. I think that narrative will hopefully a diet within the next couple of years of just playing with Ethereum rather than competing with it is my own own thesis.
1: Yeah, I would, I would largely agree. I do think there'll be a few other ecosystems, maybe, maybe even just for specific use cases or, you know, like there's even like a lot of major markets have a few um, people or like, at least you'll see like China will have its own chain or something like that like there will probably be a few but i don't think there'll be that many and i do think that ethereum will be the dominant one and and agree largely with um with your thesis there i mean i think i think the network effects and economies of scale are are really huge in block in blockchain and and obviously I, i think they're also the same in oracle networks um you get like major advantages in that regard but just two more points and then we'll we can finish with chainlink you know we can't do a podcast without talking a little bit about chainlink at the end but the other two points i had which were kind of smaller points but i do think you will see a mass i think you're already seeing this uh but you're going to see a mass migration of people who work in trade five work in traditional web2 companies that are coming into crypto i think for a few reasons one intellectually it's more stimulating for them i mean it really is i mean if you're you're, you're people have more of a, uh, you know, there's a little bit more motivation, because you feel like you're actually doing something, you know, that that's changing things for the better, or, you know, at least you're trying to, um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of money in crypto as well to be earned for people in that regard, people are kind of t- and, and the work environments a little bit different, you know, it's not like very, this corporate structure, at least a lot of them, I don't think. And so I think uh, you continue to see that and and I think this will have a few dynamics some some maybe positive some maybe uh will be i think will, you'll see a bit of a culture war you already kind of saw that with the with the ens thing um but with all these new people coming in you know will they have the same vision of crypto as the early people and you know what will that how will that affect the space how will that will there be a lot of infighting i mean this is part of like the. It's not really. A, this isn't really necessarily a crypto-specific thing. This is part of a wider cultural war that's going on. You know, especially in the U.S., but it's going on in a lot of places, especially particularly in the Western world. World, this is happening, but I don't think that's going. To, I think that's only going to intensify, and i will have different ramifications for how crypto is. You know, what happens to crypto, um, but also I think it will introduce some more long-term focus people and people thinking about crypto in a different way, because they're not, they didn't get rich right away. And so like they might, and, and, and if spe- speculation dies down a little bit, okay, I have to actually build a long-term project. So there may be some benefits in that regard of more long-term focused, more people, you know, in it for a while because they're not, they're not, they're not already rich or whatever. And so I think this, this could have some positive effects as well in that regard. Yeah, I, I think I just have a, a few more
0: points as well. I think that, mo- I think I feel like most chains in the future are just not even going to touch proof work at this stage. They're, we're already kind of seeing this, but pretty much every chain is going to be proof of stake, not only because you can generate um, arguably higher, higher security for much less cost because you don't have to subsidize electricity rather than using capital to buy hardware. You're just using capital and then staking that capital directly. So it's a little, there's less of uh less of an abstraction but i think in general i think the big thing um you know whether it's actually an issue or not is just in terms of the esg type concerns where a lot of businesses a lot of people don't want to touch crypto or people say you know oh, i'm not going to touch nfts because they burned down their amazon you know rainforest uh i don't think their core argument is actually about energy i just don't think they see the value in crypto but i think esg will always be a point that people are going to keep stabbing crypto with and i think once ethereum shifts to proof of stake a lot of that buying power goes away, I don't, but at the same time, Bitcoin's never gonna switch from proof of work. I legitimately don't think it ever will. And if there is a implementation that moves away, I don't think the Bitcoin community is gonna recognize that as Bitcoin. I think the Bitcoin network will always be proof of work. Um, It may not be at the same scale it is, is, is now, larger or smaller, but every other chain besides Bitcoin is gonna move towards a proof of stake model. I think, you know, those questions around, okay, what about token distribution, you know? Proof of work is really good at distributing tokens. Proof of stake, you need some kind of distribution initial mechanism. I think so that I I don't think it's like a all perfect, but I think this will be substantial in terms of at least narrative.
1: And then, yeah, I I, Uh, I was gonna say I I pretty largely agree with that narrative. I I do. Let me say I I do think proof like proof of work is quite a ingenious and, and and secure solution, but unfortunately with the current narratives in the I mean whether right or wrong i mean i think i think there's some validity i mean it is a very wasteful i mean it depends on how you define wasteful let me first say that because like you're if you're creating a really censorship resistant money well you're that's what's creating the censorship resistant is all that energy and and, and how valuable is that well, i would say it's pretty valuable but again you're you're basically like everyone's just guessing a bunch of numbers to see who can become first and then so like a lot of that computation is is it's just like uh it's not actually being used to do executions It's just being used to guess numbers uh, in the hopes that you will win this kind of lottery of proof of work so it is wasteful in that regard um but you know maybe they'll move to renewables or not so i uh, you know i wish I, I i like proof of work but I, I do agree that with the current narratives and with renewables and energy considerations and and, and just that and the whole narrative around sustainability and all that i just i don't see it uh yeah i don't see any People going proof of work beyond Bitcoin. Yeah, I do think it'll be. I don't think Bitcoin will ever switch to proof of work. Maybe they will move towards more renewable sources, or maybe there'll be less power. Or you know, I don't know. They'll have to consider too when the security budget becomes more a concern. I don't like. I said it might not be for eight, sixteen years from now, but you know, they will have to consider. You know how that how that's gonna work. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think in terms of proof of work, I think it's my mind very overblown, there's a lot of stranded energy. I don't think people realize just how much energy is stranded and just goes to waste because they can't transmit it anywhere useful or how much negatively priced energy exists. Um, the Just the transmission of energy is not that efficient. So you can really use crypto as a, um, I don't remember the exact term, but like adjustable load system where you could basically use Bitcoin miners to bootstrap renewable energy because it provides consistent demand. It could be immediately switched off at any time um which could be incredibly powerful for basically balancing the power grid and it's kind of interesting some places have recognized this i know texas has kind of made more of a move and uh, a few politicians have noted this regard so i think there is positive narratives that exist with proof of work but will that beat out hey look bitcoin consumes more energy than xyz country Uh, you know from a narrative perspective it's (laughs) explaining why proof of work bootstraps renewable energy it's just harder than wow look at how much energy bitcoin uses that's a lot so It kind of is what it is. I think you brought up a good point.
1: Uh, Can I just quickly say that? Yeah, I don't, like like you said before, I don't think it's actually so much about like um, energy. Like in these people who are like, have a very, you know, Elizabeth Warren, these people like that have a very strategic interest in bring. I think more, they have a very strategic interest in bringing down Bitcoin or controlling Bitcoin or like particularly to, protect their sovereign current their their fiat currencies. Uh, I think that's really the main thing. Uh, and Ethereum is less of a threat because it's more about smart contracts and stuff. And so I think it's I, I don't buy the outward facing narrative. So I mean there's something there are some truth in it and there's some there's you know I think there's some truth in it. And and I think you know people do care about that. But I think a lot of people also just like kind of want to attack Bitcoin in a way. Or they want to attack crypto and they want to control crypto and the easiest target is Bitcoin and it's proof of work. So it's like the easy target to then blanket all of crypto under.
0: I I agree. I mean, that's, it's, you see it with Bitcoin where it's like top down people attacking Bitcoin, they'll point at the energy, but really it's about, you know, it's a money they can't control realistically, but it's also from the bottom up where people really don't like NFTs. They'll use energy as the, as the reason why, but even if NFTs didn't use any energy, they would still say it's too much energy because it's not about the energy they just think well there's a lot of reasons we already kind of touched on nfts but it's, it's just, basically it's not about the energy it's just a very easy to point to uh negative narrative that you know it's like a scrape goat, basically whether it's an issue or not is not the point it's that it looks like an issue basically um but i think in terms of like what could be potentially an issue i think the as the bitcoin block award basically continues to have every four years I think people will re- really begin to think about the long-term security of the Bitcoin network. Like, yes, there will be a block reward until 2140, but it's an exponential decay chart. So, you know, within 20 years, it's going to be 96 or something percent less than it is today. So I think people will begin to really dive more into is the level of issuance from Bitcoin enough to secure the chain? How, how much issuance does there need to be to secure the chain? How much energy consumption does there need to be for there to be you know, minimized amount of reorgs. Um, So I I think there's a lot of questions just about the sustainability of the Bitcoin network itself from an economic perspective. You know, it's very predictable, uh, but Ethereum's already kind of solved for this because yes, there's technically an undoubted supply of Ether because every block continues to mint the same amount, offset by burning. So they have, Ethereum's basically set for the future in terms of security, but Bitcoin's just a fundamentally different model. So people don't see the concern today just because the subsidy is like, well over 90% of the block reward, but over time, people are going to really question, you know, what what the network's going to look like in the future when the block reward actually goes to zero. So I don't necessarily have an answer here, and I just think people should end up, uh, should be discussing it more uh, before, you know, it's too late. But when that's an issue, depends on the price of Bitcoin. (laughs) So you know, who knows when that will actually, when push comes to shove in
1: that regard. Yeah. I'm. Not, I don't. Know, it's. It's too far out, really, to really know. But I think there's. I, I think there will be a choice between three options. You'll either add an inflation, which I think you, the Bitcoin community will not go for. But you have like a one percent per year, maybe. Uh, second, you add like um, where like being able to verify zero knowledge proofs, which then allows you to support smart contract applications, and then you can create more user fees off that, or um it's just really expensive to use and it become and, and everything kind of transitions to more like off-chain or layer two so it's like this just super super expensive settlement layer so i think those are really the I, i've seen all those argued um and so we'll see i think it's too far out though to really know because again the price of bitcoin goes up a lot you know that could change but again that's that's a hard assumption because like that could change and and so like has to stay around that amount. And so I mean, I know the difficulty changes, but then it's like, okay, well, if it goes down too much, how much security is added into the network? And so yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's a little bit too far out still, but anyways,
0: yeah, I think you mentioned solution, it's basically either Bitcoin transactions just need to become really expensive. And either it's because only whales are making transactions or it's because it's just like a zero knowledge proof a ZK roll up on top of Bitcoin. I think that's that would be a very interesting solution. I think that a lot of Bitcoiners don't like the idea of basically generalized computation. I think they add they think that adds a lot of risk to a network, and it can, even if it's like in a layer two type situation. But realistically, the solution is that Bitcoin transactions become more expensive. What people do with that, layer two, just transaction centralized exchanges, literally never move your Bitcoin, trade private keys instead. You know, we'll <laughs> we'll kind of see what happens there. But that that's definitely like a future facing problem. So this this is like these are all things that we kind of expect to happen um in terms of the future of the smart contract ecosystem the crypto ecosystem but you know kind of kind of honing in on more the chainlink side of things in terms of how it how chainlink is playing into the current ecosystem how it's playing into the future of the ecosystem well, what are your general thoughts of like the general kind of trends and notable things here
1: yeah so I don't want to go too deep obviously we've discussed chainlink many many times but uh, i think right now Chainlink is really in this kind of hypergrowth stage, um and it's you know basically trying. First off, I think well, it might be helpful first to say what is Chainlink actually creating? Um, like, what is, what are they really going for? And I think if you look at it, it's really about creating this new type of computing environment, and and I would call it trust-minimized off-chain computation. And so you have kind of blockchain computation, you have like traditional Web two computation, and then you just have this kind of middle ground, and really what this is is perform computation off chain in what would be a trust minimized manner. And maybe people who don't know what trust minimized means, it's like basically creating determinism where the code is kind of is so statistically high that the certainty that it will execute exactly as you intend it to. So I submit code and it will execute exactly as I think it will, you know, as I submitted it because i've designed the network in a way where i've eliminated the variables or i've mitigated the risk of the of any external variables affecting it like whether that's centralization you know since so the administrator can affect the code or i don't i don't input external variables per se or i you know or just a single source so it's creating an environment where you, where code can act deterministically and i think so you have this so with 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 Chainlink, you have this computing environment where it's performing this computation off-chain in a trust-minimized manner, using things like decentralization and, and, and different things. And then you prove what the, 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 the computation that was performed off-chain using a blockchain. And so you kind of get this best, where you kind of get similar guarantees to blockchain computation, but you get all this kind of uh, customization and ability to add all these features that you can do off-chain. And so I think you will this, you know, we've seen this first with like provisioning data for use on blockchains. It's really an off-chain computation. When you're aggregating it off-chain, you know, you're 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 first retrieving it, you're aggregating it, and then you're putting it on-chain. We see this with randomness. We see this with now keepers and with cross-chain eventually. But I think really you're just building this generalized off-chain trust trust trust-minimized off-chain computation environment. It's a lot of words, but. It's probably the best way to, to describe it. And this is really what's being created first and foremost. Um, and if you have any thoughts there, but I think it's first important just to understand like what is training actually doing? It's not just data, it's not just this, like this. It's like a generalized off-chain computation environment with trust minimized guarantees.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good overview. It's it's very precise in what's being achieved. I think if you wanted to like boil it down simply, I think it's pretty much. Chainlink aims to provide everything that blockchains don't, but provide the similar properties that we come to expect from blockchains, basically. So it's like um, two pieces of a greater puzzle, basically. If you want to create a useful blockchain application, decentralized application, you need the ledger to settle it on and, you know, handle private keys. And then you need the oracles for the expressiveness, the privacy, the connectivity, basically the inputs and outputs and the computation itself even even, to then settle on this ledger that handles the private keys and the settlement system so it's kind of two parts that really work together and what Chainlink is really aiming to provide like you said it's not just data but it's any kind of off-chain service so that's you know the the data it provides that could be off-chain computation randomness and that could be interactions between different systems different blockchains different off-chain systems Um, i think that's Chainlink's approach generally has been historically to basically meet user demand and to preemptively meet user demand, basically. So, you know, when Chainlink launched on Mainnet 2019, DeFi wasn't really a thing there, it kind of was, but they launched Chainlink price feeds. And that really led to an explosion of all these different applications. Cause you put price data on chain, you could build a D app, a finance application around these tokens. Now, um, kind of the same thing happened with NFTs where verifiable randomness came out and then NFTs kind of blew up afterwards. And so there's kind of a correlation and a lot of NFTs ended up using you know, VRF to uh, provably mint random NFTs. And I think we're kind of seeing the same thing here now, cross chain and multi chains really blowing up and to kind of meet the user demand there, you know, Chainlink will also be used for cross chain interoperability protocol to kind of create and provide infrastructure to build more secure bridges than we've seen historically. So that's always kind of been the approach in my mind that it's really about meeting user demand in a very pragmatic way. And so uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts here, but that's always how I've kind of seen Chainlinks go to market strategy.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty much, you know, meeting, like you said, meeting market demand, trying to predict market demand. Um, But again, uh, I think really what it is, is like Chainlinks in this hyper growth stage where they're trying to build as many of these trust minimized off-chain services, that's right now it's all about supporting blocked, you know, smart contract applications, okay? They need data, they need randomness, they need, you know, automation solutions. Now they need cross-chain, then they'll need, you know, you know, fair sequencing, or they'll need uh, Deco for private, you know, attestations to private information. And like all these are kind of enabling smart contract applications. Um, and I think how they're doing this, you know, is they're, you know, using the capital that's, you know, was allocated to them. Uh, during the from the ico to then expand and pr- and build these services to to subsidize these services so they can get in the hands of users because you got to understand too like all all these smart contract applications like they're young like they're just starting to grow out and so it's like basically casting a super wide net to like anyone who needs off-chain services and obviously not all those projects are gonna you know win out you know obviously a lot of them are going to fail but some you know some of them are going to succeed big time and 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 you're basically creating the standard too of like here's the standard way to get data on chain here's the standard way to get randomness for gaming and nfts here's the standardized cross chain so when you do get then all this you know all these enterprises and all these big movers coming in well they're just going to use what was already existed like enterprises actually don't really innovate so much in that regard they're just going to use what's already been existed so in this regard they're they basically kind of just gain market you know basically become the standard in all these different areas of off-chain services and then slowly add more and more services and with that you're just creating this massive uh environment for off-chain services and, and from that you're getting all these user fees that build up more and more and more and that creates an economic model where you know you can actually pay for all these different services and then, eventually, you can introduce staking as a way to access those user fees and stuff. And like I know, for some people, this is this is more of a long-term approach. It's not like you know where other projects they they have all this capital they got allocated to them, and they basically just give people free money in the hopes that they'll be loyal or they'll you know that'll create such a network effect with liquidity that they'll be the standard. But I think we've seen that that model has not really played out so well. Um, and so you know, it's a it's it's enticing for you know, users in the beginning because they can, you know, basically put money in a contract and earn some yield, but it's totally unsustainable and it's not really a good business model to, for any project that's hoping to be around long term. Um, and so you know that's just the reality of what it is. Um, but I, I you know, I think chainlink model makes, perfect sense it's just not it's not the short-term speculation game that everyone is grown accustomed to and it's hard to put that into a realistic perspective
0: yeah I think you hit on a lot of points that I wanted to (laughs) wanted to hit on here uh I think that's I mean like you said Chainlink's basically operating on a 10-year game plan here people a lot of projects in the ecosystem and what Chainlink's competing against is flash in the pan type style things where they're going to give you all the money that they have currently doesn't really matter if they're gonna be around in 10 years cause people are gonna to rotate to the next thing. Uh, but you know, chainlink wants to power the smart contract ecosystem when it's actually at scale. And so realistically to do that, like you mentioned it's about becoming the standard today so that when the inflection points hits it's already well accepted that you need to use Chainlink for your smart contract application. And you don't become a standard by going out and extracting all the value today where you charge people massive fees. And like, you know, maybe your network has notable revenue at the beginning, but you have no growth. And so, you know, one that when the smart contract ecosystem expands, you're not competitive and you're not going to be used at scale. So it basically comes down to why focus on extracting what little value there exists in smart contracts today. And I I say little value relatively. I mean, the smart contract ecosystem has a few hundred billion dollars in DeFi, but that's nothing compared to traditional finance. Like it's literally nothing compared to it. So it doesn't make sense to extract what little value there exists. And compromise your future revenue opportunity, rather than the alternative of basically subsidizing user costs so that user costs are almost nothing at the beginning, attracting a huge network effect from all these different verticals. Some projects may fail, some may become you know the next Ave. Um, basically lowering user costs so you generate this huge network effect. Then as the ecosystem itself expands and revenue opportunities of those DApps grow, Chainlink basically grows alongside that because it's powering the ecosystem the whole way through, and so by basically sacrificing short-term price action effectively through these subsidies the bet is that as the smart contract ecosystem grows by becoming a standard today and ensuring yourself to be a standard tomorrow the future revenue opportunities are significant and what we, you know when we say tomorrow it's not literally tomorrow it's you know in a couple of years and in, in crypto that's basically perceived as being a couple of decades but this is realistically how you become a standard you lower initial user costs Generate economies of scale and network effect, then you become basically irreplaceable at that stage. So then, when the whole ecosystem scales up and billions of dollars a year in revenue are being generated, a significant portion of that flows to the oracles that are fundamentally required to make this happen in the first place. So it's very much a long term play. And if you're just looking for a quick yield, then it doesn't really make much sense to be <laughs> subsidizing user adoption rather than subsidizing your token holders, which is what a lot of, a lot of projects uh, tend to do in their approach, but you know, Chainlink when it deploys its subsidies, all about reinforcing the moat. How does Chainlink become reinforce its position as the standard, the current revenue opportunities for token holders is like non-existent currently, but with the implementation of staking and the scaling up of the ecosystem as a whole, you know, generating a network effect and becoming the standard is hard, but tweaking the tokenomics, uh, in order to divert some of the future revenue to stakers is relatively an easier move. So in my mind, I think the approach being taken makes complete sense, but you kind of need a bit of a holistic approach and you need to have a longer term time horizon than, you know, just the next year, which short term, maybe not competitive, but long term, I can't see any other project realistically being here in 10 years besides Bitcoin, Ethereum and Chainlink, in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah, and no, I just uh, to kind of furthering some of the points you had, like you, <laughs> it's very easy to change like look i think ethereum is a perfect example like their token economics were not that great for a while and they changed them and they were effective because they had a ton of users and they had a ton of user fees coming in and i think you know you actually have to have a product for the economics to make sense in the you know you could maybe do it in the short term if you just give all your money away but then you know everyone's gonna leave you have no product like to be effective, you have to build the product and then you know to 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 tweak the economics is not that diff- it's really not that difficult and I think it makes sense too because you know staking is the next form of security and how you're going to be able to differentiate between nodes and stuff and, and so you know at the same time, if you're using all this money, you're basically using the money to to introduce more revenue opportunities you know Okay, let's support this DAB, let's support this new use case, let's support this new blockchain. Okay, that's bringing in more and more user fees, that's making a wider pool of user fees. And if you think about it, like, honestly, I mean, this is my opinion, I, I think Chainlink has one of the largest value captures in the whole space, because it could capture value from most apps on virtually any blockchain or L2, and even off-chain systems, which we haven't really got into. Um, Across many many types of services, so they actually could use uh, one DApp could use multiple services even, and like because like a you know so this has like a massive value capture potential, and I think we've already seen this, and and this is just the beginning in my opinion because I think generalized trust minimized off chain compute is going to be like hugely valuable, um, beyond you know people might even run their whole applications just in this type of environment, Um, and so. You know, I think the like I said, I think the value capture potential is huge. I think the economics, you know, I do think they need to take us, you know, take a step in that direction. But again, like, you know, the opportunity is really there, and and, and model makes sense. Whereas a lot of models, you know, most models out there and products, they don't make sense. They're not sustainable. They don't make sense. They're, you know, it's just like a quick flash in the pan, like you said. And so, you know, the just have to like you said lo- lengthen out your time horizon whether you like that or not it's just a reality and so like make your own decisions based on that reality um but again I- i'm excited for that but you know might <laughs> might happen tonight uh or, you know as they say but again i think we all know this um and so I- i'm excited about it and i think it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah i think the main thing is basically establishing yourself and expanding the future revenue opportunity so when inflection point does hit you're in a very good position And i think in general there's a lot of focus on like the economics today need to be perfect there needs to be all the revenue going to token holders but like like i kind of mentioned before tokenomics is not the product you know that that's not what's being offered it's the oracle services which then have revenue revenue streams attached to that which then can be diversified across to users but realistically the aggregate revenue from the crypto ecosystem, excluding, you know, basically a couple like Ethereum, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of revenue because a lot of the revenue comes from the speculation casino games. And so it's not necessarily sustainable revenue. It's once we've reached the inflection point and there's actual real dominant real world use cases where the system of agreements that run the world shift to hybrid smart contracts, that's where the real revenue comes in. And that's where the tokenomics actually matter. But even then, the tokenomics is still not the product it's the actual oracle services being provided so I, I think there's a lot of focus on the tokenomics and they're no doubtably important particularly in the long run but i think it's much 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 more important to become the standard and have good services because then you could do whatever you want with the tokenomics but not not the inverse without a product
1: yeah i just want to add two points too is uh, and i'm not saying and i want to make clear that we're not saying that you know, i do think there should be a step in that direction of token of improving the economics. So I'm not, I don't like people play, like, oh, you guys are just coping or something like that. Like, I, I, look, I'm, I'm just being realistic, and, but I, I do think, you know, there should be a step in that direction. Um, and the other thing I was going to say too, and this is kind of a more of a side point, but I with Chainlink creating this kind of layer for trust minimized computation, I think you, what uniquely with Chainlink is that, that can actually support off-chain systems. So like you say you have like a traditional web company and they they wanna add an element of trust minimization to their off-chain system, but they don't wanna like build some blockchain application. Well, you can actually use an Oracle network to do that. It just like maybe you wanna input data or maybe you wanna perform a certain type of computation just with an Oracle network. So there's this like unique value prop of not just supporting smart contract applications, but also like just supporting truly off-chain systems that want to add an element of trust minimization to their existing business process, and I think what would happen is if a business does that, well then the competitors might want to do that because like hey, look, we're offering this guarantee that you don't actually get, uh, you know, with the other competitors, and it becomes like well I have to do that now because everyone else is doing that, and I think there's a it's a you know that's how people because you can market around that. And especially when there's a lot of people who don't trust a lot of things today and that just becomes then, you know, okay, now I got to add more trust minimization and like this will be a property that will just like continue uh, to be popular. Um, it might take some time or it might be more valuable in some areas than others, but this is something I think that's, uh, I will uh, see happening in the future more. Yeah,
0: I think that is it kind of intertwines with like the Chainlink as a blockchain abstraction layer. I think that like a lot of the focus initially has been on like, the DeGen DeFi smart contract developer community. I think as more institutions jump in, much more focus will be on the enterprise section. And Like I said, there's a lot more opportunity with Chainlink for enterprise than just we bring data on chain. It's really Chainlink is the interface to blockchain networks and Chainlink can introduce the properties of blockchains to your system without reinventing everything, just adding more determinism and more secure communication between existing off
1: chain. Serves off-chain businesses that exist so it's there's- and trans- transparency as well i think you could just oracle network should just be about transparency like posting proof of reserves or posting attestations to things like can literally just add transparency to your model
0: yeah exactly and i think like that that's a massive future revenue opportunity and just a huge space of chain like that realistically it's stepped a little bit into with like proof reserve but i think like the whole Enterprises getting get onboarded to blockchains and Web three through Chainlink. I think that like that in itself is a powerful narrative, and it's a powerful reinforcing network effect for the Chainlink ecosystem. Because once you get an institution to start using one one of your products, then that institution using other Chainlink products or services rather, you know, that's kind of a small step. You're already relying upon Chainlink network for one service. Now you can start expanding basically horizontally and start using other services. So it's like that's why casting a wide net is really powerful because you just need to get one catch and then it just kind of spreads across and you can get, you know, just expand horizontally and that attracts more users. And so uh, that's kind of like just a point on like the approach that Chainlink's been taking, but I, I do agree that it's basically, it, there's a the small contract community and there's the enterprise community and both are huge target markets. The first has been explored in depth, I think, and now it's just about scaling the ecosystem, but the enterprise is just like, that's the new Uh, that's the new field that hasn't really been touched by many projects. So that's kind of where I think there's a lot of future growth uh, that hasn't, hasn't necessarily occurred just yet. So I think those are generally, I think we've discussed some of the things on, I mean, we talk about chain link a lot, so there's only so many new things to discuss in this regard, Uh, but is there anything else you want to kind of cover in this regard, specifically about chain link and its
1: place in the market? Uh, I mean, no, I, I think it's, it's just well placed. It's just, you know, and it's doing the right things. It's just do you're you're dealing in a market that's you know kind of unrealistic at this point, and so you know, you just, just understand that reality and, and make decisions based on that reality. Um, but you know, I think we all I think most people agree it, it makes a lot of sense if you're actually trying to build a real product and and also like it's not like training is unique. I think most blue chip projects. You know are in a similar kind of pattern to some degree i mean chainlink kind of obviously like did well earlier but but i think uh a lot of these projects are in a similar dynamic so it's not like it's totally unique i mean ethereum may be a little bit different since they kind of like they have their merge coming and they did their econ they changed their token economic model a bit and so you know but for the most part i think it's they're all kind of in, in a similar situation per se but I mean, I, don't, I think, I don't think many people realize, I mean, I think most people realize how valuable changing is in this regard, they just want to see the token economic the model improve. And so hopefully that will, you know, improve and 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 that will, um, you know, get some momentum going again.
0: Yeah, I think that all is, I think that's generally people's perception. I think that people are really, really focused on seeing the tokenomics improve. And I do agree that like the economics taking a step towards uh, the kind of the finalization of what the economics will be at scale is kind of a very good validation point. uh I think it's just I, I think the priorities are kind of a little mixed given just the the existing ecosystem and what Chainlink's competi- uh, competing against versus the differing timelines. So, but I do think Chainlink is like one of the well, most well positioned projects in the ecosystem, and I it's hard to think of besides just a you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a few others just in terms of raw value the ecosystem provides. I mean, without Chainlink most of the ecosystem just would not be the same state i mean we would still be dealing with oracle tax and <laughs> oracle issues that were solved years ago by Chainlink. so i think at this stage it's about scaling up what we have um and, and kind of really bringing on the new markets that will scale the ecosystem up but
1: yeah i was gonna say I'm, I'm also pretty excited about the cross-chain just because i you know i think people are like oh well this got to market first this got to market first and like the reality is that like well, that's true, and that can be an advantage, you know. Cross chain, because cross chain is not just like cross chain application. It's like, okay, here's a here's an interface for some existing institutions to deploy, like potentially trillions of dollars, and they're using yours yours to bridge to these different ecosystems and and to take contract logic and deploy them across different chains, across different strategies. Like, that is like a major major opportunity and piece of infrastructure. And so like, you know, your yield farming rewards or your, you know, this or that is going to, is really nothing in comparison to them, the security that they're going to want. And also you got to understand too, that like institutions are looking for long-term relationships. So they start getting long-term relationships with, with, a with infrastructure like Chainlink, you know, that's what they're going to stick with. There's like a huge opportunity there. It's not like they're going to switch and they want also they want something that's going to be around in 10 years they don't want to like switch there's a lot of people don't understand like you don't want to rip and replace you don't want to build something connect with something and then like oh I got to change my whole infrastructure now because this project's no longer around like I think it's pretty obvious that chain you know chain ain't going to be around for a long time and I also think like let's look at like keepers like can one network support just keepers? Like, is there enough economic, is there enough money to be made for just being a keeper network or just being, um, you know, some small niche service, some small off-chain service? I don't, I, I don't really, I don't really know that there will be. And then there's, so there's a, there's risk for a lot of these, not just enterprises, but daps that they might have to rip and replace you know they have to replace with some with chain link because they went with the wrong model and that costs money that takes time and so you know what's going to be around and and that doesn't even get into the actual economies of scale and network effects and, and all the features also that you can add upon your existing integrations you know i do keepers okay then i can add data with that maybe i want to use then cross chain down the line like you can do it you have like one security model for all your different things and, and I don't think people really realize the, the benefit in that regard. But, anyways, I don't want to go too far into that, but that's my, my last point. Yeah, I think
0: it's an important point. We we talked about earlier about the consolidation, like around DApps and blockchain infrastructure. This is kind of the same thing the consolidation of off chain services into one full stack solution that has, you know, it's infinitely configurable, that can provide all the services you need, a one stop shop that you know is going to be around, you know, for the next decade. And, you know, every, every little startup providing their infrastructure, are they are they sustainable to be around in the next decade? You know, who knows? But Chainlink, with all the services and all the revenue, you know, it's going to be around in the next decade. And that's, if you go to Chainlink, you know, you're going to get the middleware you need for your applications is kind of the, the way I see it. So I, I think in this podcast, we covered a lot of different things, uh, a lot of the current ecosystem and its current state, how it's going to hopefully evolve over time and maybe not so hopefully, but realistically, how it'll evolve. And then specifically, the strategy Chainlink is taking within the ecosystem and how its its approach to scaling up to meet user demand and to continue fueling the ecosystem. And so, you know, the the perfect, the, the ecosystem today, the smart contract ecosystem, it's not perfect, uh, but I think we're all kind of moving towards and hoping that we'll see these more real-world use cases start to play out. And kind of the bet uh, uh, from Chainlink's perspective and kind of what Chainlink is that's, Chainlink's gonna fuel these real world applications, essentially, so it, it, I think it's all kind of intertwined. I think we're kind of during this lull period, but I think a lot of these use cases are going to be played out uh, going uh, going into the future. So um, just to kind of end things off, I wanna say uh, thanks for listening. It's I think it's been almost two hours <laughs> of us kind of discussing these different topics. Um, if you wanna learn more about just smart contracts, oracles, uh, specifically Chainlink, of course, and just the ecosystem in general, then Uh, I recommend following me on Twitter at ChainlinkGod and then uh, following my co-host here as well, the Crypto Oracle on Twitter. Uh, You'll always find some good alpha and good resources posted there. So uh, once again, uh, thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.